I mean, it'll be a private course with, uh, you know, hopefully a great national membership that has people from all across the United States and, you know, the world, I guess, that come there a couple times a year to enjoy their time out there and play golf and hang out with people that really like golf. Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck, senior writer, Sports Illustrated, protagonist of The Knockdown. And like all of you, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. And over the last year or so, I became aware that young PGA Tour player Zach Blair was asking a series of provocative questions about golf course architecture, about the great clubs uh, in America and the UK, quirky things like food items and locker door handles and you name it. And at some point, it became clear that he was trying to organize something called the Butt Club. And it wasn't, I wasn't really sure, is this an actual golf course? Is this an intellectual exercise? Well, it turns out to be both. Uh, I wanted to invite Zach on to the podcast here to talk about his obsession with golden age architecture and all of the things he's doing to try and get this club off the ground. So, Zach, thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. So what is the Butt Club? Man, what isn't the Butt Club is the easier way to describe it. But, uh, I mean, the easiest way to put it is it's a course we're trying to build in Utah that just kind of touches on uh, golden age architecture and kind of the best things you like from the best clubs around the world. And how did this idea first form in your brain? Um, I'd probably say you know, as bad as it sounds, but there's just no great golf courses in Utah that, you know, if you're a real, you know, golf course guy that really likes golf course architecture and, you know, great golden age courses, there's not one place in Utah that if somebody said, Hey, I need to get out to Utah and play some golf, where should I go? There's just nowhere that right off the top, you could say, you know, go here. So I thought, you know, it's a kind of an untapped market that definitely uh, has a lot of people that love golf. So I think it needs a course that kind of uh, fits those people. I love how you're kind of crowdsourcing the whole thing. You know, I follow you on Twitter and it seems like every day you're asking a question, what's the best par three built in the last 20 years? Uh, I mean, you, it's, it's a constant conversation. How much have you picked up from uh, electronically and just talking to people and how's that shaped your, your vision of this? Yeah, I mean, social media is a, you know, a huge tool these days. If you can use it the right way, you can obviously get a lot of feedback and, and quickly and you can get a lot of help from a lot of different people that have different perspectives. You know, I obviously think that I know a lot about golf course architecture and stuff like that, but there's obviously people out there that know a lot, too. So it's nice to get everybody's input on certain things. And, uh, you know, I've picked up I think so much good advice along the way from, from other people. Cause I mean, I want this place to be nice for everyone, not just the stuff that I like. I want it to, you know, be the best of the best. So let me, let's be clear here. You, you have a logo, you have belts, you have hats. Do you have a piece of land yet? Uh, we got a piece of property that we want to do it at, um, you know, going forward, I obviously need to make sure that everything is, you know, in the right place to where we can go forward and uh, get it done. But uh, yeah, I mean, we have a piece of property that that is going to be a pretty sweet location. How, how did you find it? Uh, a lot of looking around. Um, 
been out there a bunch to uh, walk the golf course and you know see potential green sites and tee sites and places to put different things and uh, uh, word of mouth and same thing just kind of asking questions to people whether it was on social media or just kind of around Utah got a little insight and uh, went for it and turned out to be a pretty good spot so all right let, let's I want this to be as as nerdy and golf wonky as possible so what are the design elements that really inspire you where have you seen them how how is your whole vision of, of of what a golf course should be been been influenced for me i mean everybody that knows me knows i'm a huge seth rayner fan you know uh, so obviously having the template holes is something that i really want to incorporate at the buck club and you know any seth rayner course you go to or any seth rayner course that's intact from the design that he wanted kind of has those elements. Um, so, you know, you're talking about like a Redan par three, a short par three, uh, a road hole, um, and those types of things. So that's another very untapped market that I don't see a lot of designers use uh, today. So I think that's one of the big things that I want to build, and there's nothing like it in Utah. So I think people are really going to enjoy it. So what are your five favorite Rainer courses that you've played? Oh, man, Fisher's Island is an easy one to say. That place is unbelievable. Same with Chicago Golf Club. Uh, those two are really cool. I really, uh, Yale is pretty spectacular. Um, I actually enjoy the Greenbrier course. I guess it's more of a CB McDonald, but that one, you know, obviously Seth Rayner helped there, so I'm going to go ahead and put that. Any, any Rayner is a McDonald and vice versa, I think. But, uh, and then probably, I mean, now that I said that, you got to put National in there too because, I mean, he was kind of the hands-on man there. So that's one of my favorite courses in the world. So those are that's a pretty good lineup. That's a really strong lineup. <laughs> and so when you're out walking this piece of land in Utah, are you seeing, oh, there's a good place for Beeritz Green and there's, you know, there's – um, a punch bowl and like, is that really something that's on your mind as you walk the land where you want to, you want to sight these different holes? Yeah. I mean the, the easiest one, uh, you know, when I've been walking the place, there's just a unbelievable place for kind of an Alps punch bowl, kind of like the, uh, fourth at, uh, national, you know, you gotta, you got a tee shot that you got to hit over into this flat area over across the hill. And then you got to go up over the hill to this, blind punch bowl green you know you'll have a big flag pulling back it's it's a pretty cool site um i'm really excited for that one that's kind of the the most highly anticipated hole that i would want to build right now are you going to be the architect of record on this thing yeah um i mean there's obviously people that that i think will help um but yeah it's kind of me right now and you you're not thinking of bringing in uh, an expert to to be the guy on the ground I mean, I've always been open to the idea, but I just think it's pointless to waste money and stuff like that on bringing somebody in that is basically just for a name to be, you know, to be honest. Yeah. Well, for all the, the Tom Dokes out there, our apologies. Um, but if you have a vision, I think that's great. I mean, you look at, you know, whether it's Pine Valley or, 
or Marion, a lot of, a lot of the great courses. It, it was just one visionary. Pebble Beach, Oakmont, yeah. you know, all those courses that, that you're starting to name are guys that weren't professionals, you know, weren't professional architects, and they were their first jobs. And I think there's a lot more love and passion that kind of gets put into those projects and sometimes when you hire an architect to come in that has a big name you know you might get a little more traction right away because they're going oh it's a so-and-so course or you know this guy built it this guy built it but at the end of the day that guy might only be there for you know four or five days out of the time the course is being built and you know you're going to pay him x amount of dollars to have his name on the golf course and he really might not do all that much so how does a Utah kid become obsessed with Seth Rayner? Uh, someone asked me this the other day. I think, honestly, the first uh, Seth Rayner course I played was the Greenbrier, um, which I guess, you know, it's a it's a C.B. McDonald course too. But at the PJ Tour stop a couple of years ago at the Greenbrier Classic. And uh, I played it and had so much fun on – you know, some of those holes, like the Beeritz green, I think was, I think really eye-opening to me. Same with the Redan par three. And I played, and I think I got off the course maybe during, after the practice round and was just so like moved by the different style of golf that had to be played, you know, using your imagination and hitting shots that weren't just firing right at the flag. Uh, I just thought it was a really cool thing that you don't see too often anymore, especially with, uh, you know, some newer courses that have been built in the recent years. So that, that was the light bulb moment. And it seems like you've really been trying to educate yourself ever since. How do you leverage being a tour pro into getting onto all these golf courses and, and, and playing them in your travels? Um, you know, obviously we get to go to a lot of great golf courses every week. Um, but social media has been a huge uh, thing for me just to be able to connect with different people at different clubs I think around the United States I always like to go play with people that are willing to invite us out and have us out there but um, I mean it definitely helps I think having you know the credentials of being a PGA Tour player but at the end of the day you know you gotta gotta go about it the right way you don't just want to call and say hey I'm a PGA Tour player I'd like to play your course it's a lot more fun to you know, go out and play with a member that knows some stuff about the architecture and, you know, when the course was built and stuff like that. So then you're not only just being able to play around a golf at that golf course, you're learning all this type of stuff that, that went into the design and everything. Have you, have, has any course politely declined to have you out when you've made some inquiries? Uh, not, not so far. So knock on wood that <laughs> we don't get the black bulb now, but uh, yeah, we've been pretty lucky. It's been pretty awesome. So does it ever compromise your tournament preparation because you're you're in town for an event and you know there's <laughs> there's three or four great courses nearby and you want to play them instead of the boring old PGA Tour track? <laughs> no, I mean, we get to play good courses every week. But, you know, I usually try and do it on days that are, you know, whether I'm not in a pro-am on Wednesday or something like that, that's an easy day to kind of, uh, you know, fit it in the schedule because obviously I want to be playing golf and the tour stop, I can't be out playing that golf course that day. So, uh it's it's a fun it's a fun way to get out and see the the good places around the United States. So you, you just went on a, a bender in Long Island. Give me that uh, give me that itinerary. Yeah, it was uh, it was my birthday week last year, and uh, me and uh, one of my friends and my dad went out uh, up to New York in Long Island, and 
Yeah, we had a pretty good list. We uh, went to Piping Rock, uh, Garden City Men's Club, um, Southampton, West Hampton, Friars Head, Maidstone, uh, Shinnecock, and National. So that was, I mean, there was only a few other courses that I really probably wanted to see. So it was nice to kind of, you know, hammer those out in one trip. You were a golf slut, Zach. <laughs> yeah, it's uh that was a pretty good that was a pretty good week. <laughs> I'm jealous for the record. So what what's on the uh the to-do list? What are the courses you want to get to next? Oh man, I've really uh wanted to see Yeaman's Hall in uh South Carolina. That's another Seth Rayner that I've really, you know, seen a lot of pictures, heard a lot of great stuff about that place. Um both winged foots. I've never been to either. Heard both are really good. Heard the redo at the new one is fantastic. Essex is another, you know, a Donald Ross course up in the Boston area that I've really wanted to see. And then probably maybe one of the most highly anticipated courses that I really, really want to see is uh, Myopia Hunt, which is another one up there in Boston. So uh, yeah, those are those are kind of on the the hot seat right now that I need to go get yeah. off the list yeah it's an eclectic list so <laughs> when, when you go to a mediocre tpc track even though there's an eight million dollar purse do you have trouble being inspired does the golf course is it a letdown and you can't you know find your mojo out there oh no definitely not i mean every course like i said that we play every week is is pretty good i'm i'm not one of those guys that thinks like there's a certain type of course that is good you know i, I respect you know, newer architecture, and I have no problem playing a, a newer golf course. Um, but it's always, you know, we see a lot of similar courses every week that are, you know, long and really tough. And, you know, the par threes are all really long and stuff like that. So we see a lot of similar courses. So it's just fun to kind of, you know, throw the change up in there every once in a while and go to one of these classic golf courses uh, and, and see what, what else there is out there. You're quite politically correct, but I can put you on the spot. What is your least favorite PG Tour venue? Um, I'm not too sure. Um, let's think about this. What's <laughs> I've I don't really love the courses in Palm Springs. They're you know they're okay, but you know, with all the houses around and stuff like that, they're not my favorite, but it's yeah. always nice to go there because the weather's good. But I mean, that's an easy one, I guess, for me to say off the top of my head. Do you think there's one kind of architecture that suits your game? Uh, not really. I feel like I've, I kind of play the same everywhere, <laughs> to be honest, you know, that's kind of hurt me on some places that are really easy. Cause I, you know, find a way to kind of shoot the same score as on a really tough golf course. <laughs> but I mean, sometimes it suits me on tough weeks, I guess. Yeah. So just to drill down on this a little bit more, you keep saying we in regards to the Buck Club. Who, you have some investors, you have some some friends. Who's, who's part of this vision? Yeah, you know, we got people that, you know, are, you know, quote unquote investors. And we got my dad, who's a, you know, a huge influential piece in the whole project. And I, I mean, I got a great group of friends that have kind of really rallied behind the idea and have kind of been promoting it and pushing it around. So, um, you know, we is the buck club, you know, everybody that's been involved from, you know, buying hats to giving me ideas. I think it's kind of a big group effort that has, you know, gone a long way, I think. 
what is the most ambitious timeline for when you could actually have that golf course done? I'd say two years. Yeah. That is ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we, we got all the pieces, um, kind of in place. We just kind of got to pull the trigger on, uh, on everything. So I think it's, it's one of those things that's obviously really hard and somebody's going to hear that and say two years, you know, that's impossible, but I mean, everything's ready to go. We just need to, uh, kind of nail it down and get everything figured out. So you're standing over putt on the 72nd hole. It's to finish you know, 11th or 5th, $200,000 difference. Are you thinking about what that could mean to found, you know, launching the club? <laughs> no. I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's more of a hobby to me. You know, it's something to kind of fill my time off the course. So, you know, being a PGA Tour player and golfing is my main focus in, you know, in the golf world. So, you know, I'm not every once in a while out on the course, you know, I'll see stuff and think like, wow, you know, I could, I could add that, but I'm never thinking, man, I need to play good this week so I can, you know, build the buck club. I can picture the golf course already, but tell me about the rest of the experience. What is the clubhouse going to be like? What are the other you know, accoutrements that we can look forward to? For me, uh, I just want to have a super laid back, super old school vibe, you know, but bring the things, the modern element, you know, Obviously, one of my biggest things that I hate when I go somewhere is when they don't let you use like your cell phone or they don't let you use your rangefinder. You know, obviously, it's annoying to play with somebody that's talking on their cell phone um, the whole round, but it's equally as annoying to play with somebody that you know keeps telling you you can't have your phone out to text somebody or to take a picture. It's like you know we live in uh, a world today that everything is so technological you know, technological and you're always having your phone out and everything is done, you know, through social media and stuff like that. It's like, you know, at some point, I think those clubs got to kind of break a little bit and say, you know, what, we got to be able to allow cell phones to, as long as you're not bothering people, I think it's totally fine to have something like that out there. So those are my biggest things. I want to make it old school and very inviting and very relaxed. Um, and I think that's something that allowing, you know, cell phones and rangefinders and stuff like that and maybe a little bit of music whatever nice <laughs> and is this going to be a semi private how is it going to be completely just for you and your buddies or what i mean it'll be a private course yeah. with uh you know hopefully a great national membership that has people from i mean all across the united states and you know the world i guess that come there a couple times a year to enjoy their time out there and play golf and hang out with people that really like golf. You know, a lot of the great clubs, pretty much all of them in the UK still set aside days of the week where the public can, can play. Would you be amenable to, to letting outsiders in once in a while? Yeah, I think that's definitely something that that's been on the table that I think would just be another thing that would kind of separate us from, you know, a normal place. You see a lot of those great golf courses that you, you know, like that you can play over there you can get out. So it's cool, I think, to to have that aspect. So that's something that's definitely uh, a possibility. I mean, all your Twitter followers are going to want to come play the course. You know that, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think we'll definitely allow that to happen. That's cool. Are there any players on tour who have given you ideas or are a part of this conversation? Yeah. You know, um, there are a few that have kind of talked to me about it. Johnson Wagner is one that comes to mind. Uh, 
we like to talk about it from time to time and uh he's a big seth rainer fan and stuff like that so he's been cool you know to talk about different courses and different styles of architecture and different holes that he likes and uh so he's a he's a good one and there's guys who are building golf courses whether it's it's mickelson or jeff ogilvy you know tiger has a design business do you ever pick their brains about just the business aspect and the technical aspect um not really um I don't like to bug people that much. You know, if they want to come to me and talk about it, that's great. But I don't want to, you know, bother them too much. What's the uh, the best or the most unusual uh, idea that, that you've gotten from your from your social media that you're going to try and incorporate? Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot. I, the most unusual idea. A food item, the, the design of the locker doors. Um... Man, there's too many, I think, to kind of really pick one out. You know, somebody somebody had said something about making a flag stick out of like a fly rod, you know, so you could take the flag stick out and kind of go fish the ponds or fish the rivers around. <laughs> so that was, that was a pretty unusual one that, that sounded pretty cool. That, that could be an ongoing expense. You have to keep replacing the flags. <laughs> yeah, that could be bad. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a businessman now. you got to think about these things, Zach. Yeah, but you, you said the most unusual. I didn't say the one I was going to use. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anything that's been brought to your attention, old Rainer trivia or you know holes in obscure courses you weren't aware of that, that's really sparked your interest? You know, there are people that I talk to on Twitter that I like to kind of go back and forth and they share pictures or old routings. Um, but not too much that I didn't know about. Yeah. But I mean, I guess there's always cool pictures or cool holes that we discover, you know, every couple of weeks that it's cool to look at and talk about. Yeah, that's neat. So in, in your travels, I mean, I'm, I'm, this idea of, of this playing these different golf courses as part of the tour schedule, how, how far out do you set up your games and is it ever spontaneous? You all of a sudden you find you have a Tuesday free and you you put something on Twitter and you're you're on the course that afternoon. Yeah, it's definitely been you know sometimes like that. But I mean, you know, I like to sit down in the off season and kind of say like, you know, here is my schedule and here are some courses that I would really like to play. So that's kind of the easiest way to do it. And then you know I might say something on Twitter like, has anybody? played this golf course and usually people will reach out and say like yeah it's great you know are you looking for uh, somebody to play with or something like that so yeah there's been times where it's happened that day but most of the times you try and I think kind of get a get it you know penciled in at least for a couple weeks down the road I guess yeah so of course the listeners can't see it but you have a a very fancy buck club belt right here yeah (laughs) What kind of I mean what kind of numbers have you moved is with this merchandise? I think we I think we sold like uh you know around like 60 belts and I mean I just took orders for like 4 days. So I thought that was pretty good. I mean that's probably more than than a lot of courses sell all year, so <laughs> And what are you charging for the belts? Uh we charge like 150 bucks. I think they retail for 165, so Yeah. Yeah. You know, getting a little little bit of a deal, I guess. Do you have fans come up to you and they want you to sign their hat or their belt and, and talk about about the club? I mean, every week we got people that, you know, come up and talk about it. So that's a really cool thing for me to kind of see 
how it's transformed into something that people actually know about, whether they see, you know, the logo on my sleeve or they see a belt or they see somebody, you know, like my caddy with a hat, you know, Hey, you know, that's the buck club, nice logo or whatever. So it's, it's been cool to, uh, to talk to different people around and, you know, see that their appreciation for it. You know, Seth Rayner got to build a lot of golf courses before anyone even knew about it. He got to fail. He had the opportunity to learn his craft. You're putting a lot of pressure on yourself here. There's there's this whole audience now that's going to be tuned into what you're doing. Have you what happens if you build a bad golf course? Yeah, I mean, if you build a bad one, I think you just you keep uh, fixing it until it's good. I mean, you know, some sometimes, uh, I mean, all those courses, Pine Valley, Pebble Beach, you know, all of them probably weren't unbelievable the first day they opened but you know if if your membership and the guys around it are willing to accept that you know this is kind of an ongoing process which it has been you know there's always room to improve and uh but i mean i can tell you right now it's going to be sick you know it's not it's not going to be bad <laughs> what is the downstroke going to be to join uh i don't know we've talked about it a lot i don't i definitely i don't have any hard numbers right here but it's not going to be in the uh, six figures. You know, it's going to be a a small fee compared to some of these other clubs around the world um, that I think is obtainable for the average person that really enjoys golf and takes golf seriously and, and wants a place to, uh, to play. I, I don't think they'll be thinking that it's too outrageous. The last time I was at Cypress Point, I asked the guys in the pro shop, where are the membership applications? <laughs> they didn't really get the joke right away. Yeah. But so, but for the Buck Club, are you, are you soliciting members or this is strictly you have to tap someone on the shoulder? Uh, I think, I don't know, it's hard to say. You know, you meet people that, that want to be involved and you, you, know, you kind of get a feel for if they're the right fit. You know, like you go to a place like Pine Valley and everybody there has such a high golf IQ or places like Seminole. Everyone knows so much about the game. And it's it's fun to be around people like that, especially out on the golf course, especially if you take golf seriously. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, that's kind of the people you're looking for, people that really appreciate golden age architecture or appreciate golf in general. Um, you know, that's the type of people that you kind of want at the club. So what are your titles? Founder, membership director? <laughs> um, I'm about everything you could uh, think of right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is this has been a lot of fun to talk about. Anything else we need to know? How did you come up with the name? That's an obvious one. Uh, the name actually kind of came up almost as a joke, really. Um, when we were in college, both of our coaches, uh, Bruce Brockbank and Todd Miller, were uh, you know big hunters. They like to go you know, hunting and stuff like that. So we would be out playing rounds up in Park City or, you know, down in Provo and they'd be like, we should go, uh, you know, scout some deer and, you know, look for some deer or whatever. And I, I told them, I said, I'm going to build a golf course, you know, for the BYU team and we're going to call it the Buck Club. You know, then you can go out there and you can watch the team. And at the same time, you know, there can be some deer running around and you can look at them so you don't have to, you know, leave us and go do that. And so I, honestly, it just kind of started like that. And then it, uh, I don't know, it caught on and people seemed to be okay with it. And now here it is. That's great. Well, we'll look forward to playing the, the 2024 WGC Utah at the Buck Club. <laughs> I like it. Okay, thus concludes another podcast for the Knockdown. 
I have to say that I've been bugging a lot of people within the game, brand name tour players and others who I think might be interesting to appear on future versions of this podcast. And I've got a great lineup of upcoming guests. I'm excited for all you guys to hear. So you can look forward to that. Until then, uh, please visit our other offerings at golf.com slash shipnuck. I'm writing on all kinds of stuff, some of it even interesting, I hope. So this is Alan Shipnuck signing off from Torrey Pines with Zach Blair.